When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So welcome back to Charged Up Studio. I'm so happy to have everybody here with us again today. This is Dana Olivo, your host and CEO of Marketatomy LLC. So today we've got an exciting guest with us, Mitchell Beinhaker. You got it. You got it, Dana. <laughs> right. Mitchell Beinhaker is a, an attorney who works with small and medium businesses to help them um, uh, basically get themselves off on the right foot, you know, transactionally uh, with contracts, with everything else that you need as a small business in order to move forward. Uh, with that in mind, he's also the creator and host of an audio podcast called The Accidental Entrepreneur. And with the clients that I deal with on a daily basis, a lot of them can be classified as those accidental entrepreneurs. And that's Perfect. what we're going to discuss today is how do we accidentally get into becoming a business owner? And right. what do we do once we're in there and in it full-fledged to protect ourselves and keep sure. moving forward? So with no further ado, let's welcome to Charged Up Studio, Mr. Mitchell Beinhaker. Yes, thanks, Dana. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm so glad we're here. I know we've kind of switched back and forth. I did one on your podcast, you know, a few weeks ago, and now yeah. you're back with me. So let's talk about the accidental entrepreneur. Sure. Um, what is your definition? Tell me what your definition is of an accidental entrepreneur. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of the enthusiastic, excited individual or persons, maybe more than one that kind of, uh, throw caution to the wind and run off towards starting their business and go rent some space or start making product. And they really don't take the time to plan. Um, and then things kind of happen by accident and more often than not, the failure happens by accident, not success. So that's really and and then along the road when you run into problems obstacles bumps in the road or whatever you have nothing to compare it to so you don't know what's going wrong if it's going wrong maybe it's too late when you figure it out you can't really pivot because you're not pivoting off of anything right and you need a roadmap so that's the accidental entrepreneur is the person who doesn't do you know the business planning the writing yeah some of them make it through I'm not yeah. saying it's not the uns, you know, the fail, it's not the failing entrepreneur, it's the accidental entrepreneur. So some people do make it um, successfully without the planning. They don't have that kind of background. They're, they're, you know, they grit it out or whatever, but that's the exception. So I started the podcast a while ago and I advise a lot of 
you know, business owners as, as a lawyer um, to help them hopefully improve their chances of success so we can push the needle more towards people being more successful than such a high failure rate. So what are, what are some of the, um, the issues that you run into when you've got these accidental entrepreneurs coming to you in the legal uh, aspect? You know, what are they struggling with? Sure. Well, I mean, one of, I, as I mentioned before, and it sounds, you know, glib, but, uh, you know, a lot of them don't have written business plans. I mean, they just don't. And I'm not suggesting that you have to go out and hire a consultant, um, which I don't really know if you get what your money, you, you get your money's worth anyway. You really need to know the business plan yourself. You need to write it. You can get a writer to work with you, but, you know, you don't just pay somebody $15,000 and they come back with this beautiful business plan, which you never use. But yeah, they don't take the time to strategically plan and research and do the market research and do the customer research and do the product research and even do pro forma financials to figure out, okay, you know, can we sell this product at a price that's high enough to make a profit? How many units do we need to sell? You know, all those types of seemingly simple questions, but they just don't, they don't get addressed. So the first thing that people need to do and the mistake that they make is they don't start planning. If you're thinking of some business ideas and you write them down, start sketching out a business plan as to how this could work, how it might look, you know, what kind of problems would it be to get this thing off the ground? Is there competition? Is there a marketplace? All that, you know, type of stuff. All of that is done when you're putting your business model together, you know, right. at a very early stage, you know, um, you're, you're describing what your product is, your, your service that you're going to sell, you know, and things like that. I know yep. working with early stage businesses, which is what I do primarily, um, they all go in believing that they have a product or service that will make them money and that yep. they can start their business on. What they don't know how to do is build a business around that product or service. Correct. So a lot of times what happens before they even have a chance to really get a handle on it is they find themselves in trouble. Right. Okay? And so- they Well, they haven't spent the time you know, to do the research. I used to run an academy. I think I told you for yeah. kids, middle school, high school kids. And yeah. we used to have at the beginning of the course, it was like a 30 week course. It was pretty intense. And they would come out with a business plan and a working business, we would have this, if you call it competition or, you know, on a Saturday where we all got together and somebody would throw their up their idea up on the board and say, I want to do this. And everybody in the room, politely so, not, you know, constructively would tell them the problems they see with the business. And we would vote. And eventually we had to narrow it down. We had, let's say 30 or 40 kids in the group. We couldn't launch 30 businesses. So we had to narrow it down to like 10 people would partner up. And if your business didn't make it past the first or second round, you would have to then approach another group and say, hey, I like your idea. I'd like to participate in your business. I think that's a problem a lot of entrepreneurs make. I mean, if you have a partner and you're doing this together, then you do have somebody to sound, you know, bounce it off of. Mm -hmm. But I think you really need to vet that idea and really try to break it. Like, what's wrong with this? Why won't this work? You know, don't, don't be in love with your idea. Assume that there's a problem with it. Assume that it's not going to work. Assume that there's a reason that no one else is doing this. And then if you get past all those you know, those questions and, and really tinkering with things, then you can move to the next stage. Okay. We don't see a lot of problems with this. How do we do this? And I think a lot of people, like you said, they're in love with their idea and they get blinders on and they're just so committed. And then they're embarrassed to say they're not committed. And it becomes a whole psych, you know, cyclical problem. And you lose circular that problem. the longer you're in trouble. 
you know, the longer that you are facing these these roadblocks and everything, you start right. losing that enthusiasm and that and that passion. I um I attended the University of Central Florida right here in Orlando um, and got my degrees. Okay. And one of the things that it forced me to do, because I had had two failed businesses prior to going back and getting my degree, because I realized I needed to know what I didn't know. Okay. Right. Uh, luckily, I was in a position where I could go back to school. And one of the, right. um, what we call the capstone project, which is the very last course that you take before you graduate, um, the capstone project was a simulation where you had a business and you had to really work within a team. There was a four of us and we would work within a team to develop a product and, and, and put together our inventory and our logistics plan, you know, our marketing, everything. And I'm telling you by going through that simulation right. of an actual business, I learned more from that one course than I did any of the other courses that I sure. went in my business degree. Right. And this is what a lot of entrepreneurs, especially right now with COVID, we've had such a large increase of new business licenses. Sure. This is what they're facing. If they have not gone through this actual, uh, you know, gone through the process, what they're doing is they're opening themselves up. So let's talk a little bit about the things that they could be facing down the road, both legally and strategically. Right. Okay. Right. right, right. Um, sure. Yeah. So let's, let's first talk about legally, what should they be doing and what could happen if they don't do it? Right. Well, the first thing is that a lot of business owners start and they don't really have an LLC or a corporation. They're just kind of, it's a side hustle and they're really, you know, it's kind of a hobby. Maybe it'll be a business and it's just a sole proprietor. Um, you really expose yourself to a lot of personal liability when you do that. And there's really no reason nowadays to not at least be an LLC. Um, you, you know, the filing fees are low and you can usually set them up online. Um, I'm not a big advocate of, you know, using these services online, but you can. Um, it might cost you several hundred dollars plus the filing fees, but you probably can find a local attorney to do it for pretty much the same price. You could also go, the state websites have, um, the ability for you to file your own LLC. And usually they're pretty friendly. The one in New Jersey is pretty friendly. There may be some questions that I'm taking for granted as a lawyer that people say, huh? They look at it, but I think it's pretty easy to get through. So that's the first thing you really want liability protection. So you're acting on behalf of your company and not yourself as an individual. So if you short of, you know, like committing fraud and ripping people off, if you're acting, you know, legitimately and honestly, and something happens, they're going to sue the company, not you. And if it's a sole proprietor, they're suing you. Okay. So um, with that being said, okay, let me put in two things that I have seen with my clients. Okay. Sure. In terms of the entity that they set up and everything. Mm -hmm. First of all, one of the questions that comes up is um, if I set my business up as a corporation or an LLC and it's its mm -hmm. own entity, um, it starts out with zero credit, should, so I should be able to, to build credit, all right? That's one of the um, myths or, you know, the false uh, assumptions out there. Um, and then the other thing is, is that, oh, God, I forgot what the second one was. Let's talk to what the first one was. Okay, let's talk about for you'll remember. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's, it, that's definitely a myth. First of all, if you're a small business owner, 
you know, it, it's not IBM. You're not talking about, you know, Microsoft. So the ability to build credit, and you can do that. You can get a Dun & Bradstreet number, and you can start to build a profile for the business. You're still going to have to fall back on your own credit when it comes to getting things for your business on credit. So they're going to make you sign personally and stuff like that. So I wouldn't be so concerned about that. And it's not something that it's something that's going to take a little time, but you do have to be affirmative about it. You can't just be operating and assume that the business has credit if it doesn't have a, a D&B number and, and, and stuff like that. So that that's one way I would start. And if, and if building credit for the business, depending on the industry that you're in, right, is important, it's probably something you want to do earlier, sooner than later, you know? Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And then the difference between an LLC and a C-Corp. Yeah. So okay. really with small business owners, generally, we are talking about an S-Corp, a corporation that makes an S election. C-Corps, unless they're large companies, you can run into double taxation and some different problems. But there are some exceptions where you'd be a C-Corp. And a lot of that is a discussion you should have with your accountant, not necessarily your attorney. As an attorney, I love LLCs. They're flexible. Um, they, they don't, you know, you're not subject to certain the rules that you have to follow as a corporation. You can make your own rules. Um, an S-Corp, there are some tax advantages to an S-Corp, a little bit more formal, you have to have a payroll, but there are also elections where you can have your LLC when you start, and as you build and you add employees, you can make an election to treat it like an S-Corporation. So you kind of can have nowadays have your cake and eat it too, but the, 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 the difference between a C-Corp and an LLC is in an LLC, if it earns money and has profits, taxable income, it flows through to the owners. Okay. Okay. I knew Not that. Not necessarily. Yeah. yeah. With a C corp, that doesn't happen. Right. With an S corp, you're basically converting it to an LLC for tax purposes. So it now flows through to the owners as well, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just being tax corporation. That doesn't mean like if I pay money, if my partner and I each take out $10,000 from the business and it's part of taxable income, of course, we're going to pay income tax on that. So we took it out. We're talking about monies that you leave in the company bank account for whatever reason, that's how it's, that's how it's taxed. See, I always thought that the S corp or the S designation was primarily for tax purposes. I didn't realize it's actually considered a corporate entity. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically, it's a C corporation that's making an election under subchapter S instead of subchapter C to avoid double taxation. So with a C corp, what happens is let's say the corporation owns earns a hundred thousand dollars in profit. Okay. And holds on to that money and then pays tax on that money. Well, if later there's profit distributions, what are called dividends, if you own stock and Microsoft, some of you might get a dividend payment. Those are not deductible to the company and they're income to you. So if you own this company, you're not paying tax on your money twice, which most people don't really want to have happen. Yeah. They like No, definitely. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Definitely, definitely. Exactly. So let's talk about some other legal um, issues that they might get into. Let's talk about contracts and sure. MOUs and things like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, a big mistake that business owners make, and they're often coming to me for this reason, is that they get into a situation where they're doing business. It's not really in writing. When I say not really, they think it's some text messages and emails make up a contract somehow. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, you can try to make a contract out of it, but it's a mess. And they get into some dispute, misunderstanding, disagreement with the parties that they're doing business with, with their partners, whatever it happens to be. And it look, in, in terms of the course of doing business together, misunderstandings are a sign of life. 
You know, I, it, the only time you don't have controversy and disagreements and trouble in your life is probably when you die. I mean, that's when it ends, right? So we all have a different perception of things and we also don't remember things the same as, as our counterparts do. So if you don't have things in writing and you don't keep track of them in writing, so you can go back and say, no, I don't think that's what we decided. And then you pull out the contract and you go, huh, yeah, that is what we decided. It, it, I'm not saying there, you'll never have arguments, but it avoids a lot of them. And it also should set up, if it's done properly, the rules. It should set up the rules. I just mean, yeah, yeah. if, yeah, I hit the keyboard. Uh, if, you, if you do have a misunderstanding, if you do have a disagreement, a good contract is going to set up the rules for, for resolving those disputes. Okay. So I, I get problems with people that go into business and they have partners, and they don't have a partnership agreement. And they go out and they pull a partnership agreement off the off the internet because they need it for some bank loan or something. They, they barely look at it, the two of them. They haven't done hundreds of them like I have, so they don't think of the issues that should go in there. And they sign it and they put it away. And then later on, one of them wants to leave the business, wants to do something differently than the other one. They're arguing, and now they're breaking up. The contract's a mess. It doesn't address all these different kinds of an issue, or they don't have a contract. And then, you know, good luck. And in most states... Um, if you file what's called a petition action, meaning you want out of the business, judge is going to just order the business is sold and whatever it liquidates to you split. He's not going to make people stay in business together in most cases. Right. So right. that's so. And then the other side of it is doing business with people, vendors or customers. So either end with a handshake, not having terms and conditions when you do business, not using a contract. Now, look, there are businesses that are just course of dealing businesses. You go to the supermarket, you don't buy your groceries and they hand you a contract and you sign the contract. These are the terms. If you're going to return anything, you got 10 days. And if you open it, you get, you know, it's just kind of expected what their policies are. So that's a little different. But if you are a person's in a service business and you provide regular services to people, maybe you are a a booking agent, I get a lot of them calling me, or you're a landscaper and you're doing regular landscaping or whatever, you should have service agreements, contracts that say these are the issues because I guarantee you're going to run into some problem at some point uh, and you're not going to have any rules to follow and good luck. Right. So it's yeah. important that you do that. And, and it's usually not that expensive. I mean, if you went to an attorney to do a basic contract, probably somewhere between 12 to $1,500 um back and forth and doing you know they i flat fee it usually for things like that and throw in extras and stuff um another contract is often overlooked is non-disclosures non-solicits non-competes not all non-competes will hold up but if you have information you want somebody to disclose or forget about them going to compete with you you don't want them stealing all your customers and all your employees that is legitimate so you have them sign an agreement that says hey if you leave here you can't take our customers and you can't take our employees. And there's plenty of stories. I'm sure you have them too, where people don't have those agreements in writing and people do leave and they raid their business and they take it apart. Right. You know? Right. So hmm. yeah, that's an important one. You know, I just had a, a client the other day that we were talking um, that she, she was bringing on uh, somebody in a position, it was a sales position, but it was very integrated into the company. Okay. And mm -hmm. the sales, the, the, this staff member, this, it was actually at 1099. It was a consultant. Okay. And um, she was going to be privy to a lot of information, IP information. And I, yeah. and 
I says, before you do any of that, before you hire her and bring her on as a 1099, you really should protect yourself and your IP with some kind of a non-disclosure, non-compliance yeah, type agreement, absolutely. you know, uh, so that she cannot go out and decide, okay, she's going to start her own. Yeah, okay, absolutely. What she's doing is she's learning the, the ropes, you know, that this woman has spent years putting, pulling together and then, you know, going out and starting her own. So, right. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, one of the reasons that uh, I failed in business before was again, I didn't know what I didn't know. And it had right. to do with the partnership type deal. I had brought on a partner yeah. and, um, and then there was a strategic partner I had been, I had brought in that was working with me on a project and this partner of mine and the strategic partner decided that they were going to basically push me out of the business. Right. Happens and that's what all the time. Ended up doing, you know, and I hadn't protected myself or anything like that, you know. Um, so those are the kind of things as small business owners that we need to understand and be prepared for, you know. IP is another one. Our, yeah. you know, our our intellectual property, our trademarks, all of those, um, because they can be picked up or they we can be if we've used it and we've copied something from somebody else right inadvertently maybe you didn't realize you it can end up costing you thousands of dollars yeah then they get you get a cease and desist and, and at the very least you got to stop and then you change all your logos and your information right um right. yeah i mean there are situations where you should um trademark and some situations where you should maybe you shouldn't just leave yeah. you know leave well enough alone and, and i don't really do a lot of intellectual property you should definitely go to an ip attorney to do that don't do it on your own because you can the USPTO has a pretty good website right. and you can file trademarks on your own and people do them, but I would just caution because as soon as you get an action letter from a, a, a reviewer, mm. um, you know, one of the examiners and it says the, uh, they ask you to do something, you don't know what the heck it is. Now you got to go find an attorney to help you and you, you might've yeah. been able to avoid that issue right? You know, to begin with. Right. Yeah. Nowadays, there's a lot of um, new business owners that are getting into the education side, the digital uh, education uh -huh. side, and that's intellectual property. Sure, and copyrights, that, trademarks, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. copyrights, trademarks. Now, you know, uh, they may not be in the position to afford an IP attorney or anything like that right now, but, um, you know, you still should be protecting yourself somehow. Yeah, and there are services that'll do it. Um, copyrights are pretty inexpensive. You can go to the Library of Congress online. You can file them. If yeah. it's a small collection of works, it's, I don't know, 30 or 50 bucks. They used yeah. to do it where you could like take all your stuff, put it in a big book, like if you're an artist or something, and you pay one fee. They kind of right. cut that stuff exactly. down. But yeah, you also, by the way, if you really don't have money and you're really just getting started and maybe filing a registered mark isn't really something you have to do right now. You can, I think I have it on my wall there. See next to entrepreneur, it says yep. TM. Yeah. So a TM, and that's because the logo hasn't been changed and I don't pay an artist to change it. The TM is a common law trademark, um, you know, that you're claiming. So right. you're saying this is my trademark. So you just put a TM next to whatever name you're using, whatever whatever tagline you're, you're, you're using. Right. Or a logo and it claims common law. Now you don't have certain statutory protections, but you are claiming use of the thing. Same thing with copyrights. You put the little C, copyrights, all rights reserved, copyright 2022. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you're claiming that you wrote this. And as long as it's your work, you get protection right. without registering it with the Library of Congress, because right. it's only you can prove that it's your work and wasn't, you know, and the date it was created and nobody's stealing it from you. Mm-hmm. you now you get some protection mm-hmm. that way as well. How often do you get uh, new business owners coming to you because they've been either uh, taken advantage of or gotten them into a position when it comes to capital investment? And um, like they don't have enough money to keep the business going? They don't have enough money, or they get involved in somebody invest in some investment brokers that are not on the up and up, you know, because there are a lot of them around there, you know. So yeah. how often do you get that kind of uh Yeah, well, very often. I mean, that's where the whole idea of the accidental entrepreneur came from because I I get a lot of people that call me and they say, you know, Mitch, I gotta shut my business down. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Didn't you open like four months ago? Or, you know, or or uh, you know, I owe money to this guy, he invested in the business. I thought he was an equity partner, now he wants his money back. And, you know, you look at it and it's really not very papered very well. Um, and the other partner really took advantage of the situation and you'd be surprised. Sometimes they're, they're lawyers. So they're former lawyers. They don't practice. Maybe they invest in businesses, whatever. And they're writing their own contracts. And there is, there are a lot going on right now. A lot of that stuff. Yeah. A lot of that stuff. And usually the, 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 usually these home-baked contracts that people do, these parties that make their own contracts, they leave out all the stuff. What do you do when you, when things fall apart? What are the rules of, of disagreement. And that's really the reason you have a contract. It's the whole reason you have a contract. If you never had any controversy and everybody was in agreement all the time, you wouldn't need it in writing. Right. So that that's a, that's a huge area. And I do get a lot of people to come to me after the fact, you know, oh, they don't come to me, like maybe they had it a problem with an old business and now they're coming to me to do it right the first time. But usually right. they have prior, some prior bad experience. Yeah. So what should the, um, the, business owner be looking for when they are looking at or been approached by a money person? Well, I I mean, I am, I tell people to be very skeptical about somebody who wants to invest in your business, who you don't know, who come to you and say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking for business opportunities or aren't doing it on a formal basis. If they're an angel investor, if they're a venture capitalist, even if they're doing small deals, you know, if, if you weren't referred to them by a professional that you know and trust, I would do a lot of vetting, background check. I would certainly do a Google search. I would maybe, uh, you know, call a private investigator to check up on somebody and do a search because you're going to end up in business with this person. And if it turns out, for example, that they are just want to use your business to launder money, for example, I had somebody years ago who who had a small business and he was a young guy and he starts, you know, kind of taking in money as an investment, he thought, and when it, and he, at the end of the day, the Fed showed up and he was laundering money for people. So he didn't even know it. And he did go to jail um, at the end of the day. So you want to really be careful about the people you're getting in bed with if you don't, you know, if you, if you don't know them. I'm, I'm really, you know, it's yeah. one thing, it, it's different if you're doing a seed round, you're raising money formally. Mm-hmm. for a product development or something like that. And you have maybe a, maybe an investment banker involved or an attorney and people signing subscription agreements and they're acknowledging that they're accredited investors and things like that. And they're not controlling your business, but you know, you don't want somebody to come and say, Hey, I'll give you $200,000. I want 60% of this business. And you need the money. And you're like, okay, 
those are the people that come to me later on and say, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Yes. Especially if they don't know how to manage the money. You know, right. one of the things I do with my clients is I tell them, you know, look, if you're going to borrow money, you know, uh, against the business, make sure that that money goes towards revenue generation. Of course. Of course. And make sure that everything you do is in writing. I get the people that come to me who were the ones who loaned the money to the business. And they're like, yeah. how'd you find this guy? Well, my good friend, John referred me to Bill and Bill introduced me to Bob. And I said, I'd put money into Bob's business. I thought it was an interesting business, but now I can't keep track of anything that he's doing. I don't know if he's spending the money properly. Where's the money going? I'm not getting any payments. He's got to be doing business. We see the stores open every day, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and you have no mechanism in there. You don't have the right to do an audit. You don't know, you know, things like that. You don't have any liens on the business. If you're loaning money to a business, you should at least file a UCC lien. So, if, so they can't go out and bar, borrow other monies from a bank or something. Who's going to do searches and see that you're out there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, you know, it's um, not, it's a lot of people are loosey goosey when it comes to having money around. They're yeah, like, no, hey, it'll all true. work out. That's true. And, and, and so many, the bulk of these new business owners, they don't know how to manage the cash. They don't know what right. cash flow is. Right. And the importance of having that cash flow um, and being able to meet their bills. Um, yep. Let's see, what else do accidental entrepreneurs run into? We talked about succession plans. We talked about partnerships. We talked about, um, how about exit strategies? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people don't go into business. And look, if you're young, I understand. But they don't have any sort of an exit strategy in mind. You know, how am I going to ever get out of this? Which which is okay, I guess, if it's a lifestyle business. But if you're, you know, if your goal and objective is, look, I'd like to build this business and then someday be able to leave and sell it to somebody, well, then you better think of that ahead of time because, you know, maybe you could do it in five or so years, but probably not. Um, if you have a, con for example, you have a contract track based service business, you want to make those, make sure those contracts are transferable. So you could sell that business to somebody or have a, uh, an employee takeover. You also may, if you have good employees at some point early on, say, hey, listen, I don't want to do this forever. And in you know eight to 10 years, I'm going to be phasing out. Five to eight years, I'm going to be phasing out. Would you be interested in taking over this business and set up an agreement right. in writing where they commit to you and you commit to them and stick with it? And then you build in a, you build in a, a you know, succession plan, an exit strategy, things like that. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people overlook that. And then they get to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm really ready to retire. Or they have a health problem or the pandemic hits or whatever. And they're like, you know, I'll sell my business. Well, good luck. I mean, this is in yeah. stock in, you know, in a publicly traded company where you can just go to the market and sell it. Right. I mean, you're going to get business brokers involved. They're going to give you a valuation. They can say your business is worth $650,000. Well, good luck finding somebody to pay that, that money. Right, right. You know, and so I get a lot of that. Yeah. And a lot of them do not understand where that valuation comes from. You know, if you if you have a business and it's not making any revenue and there's really no IP, it's worth absolutely nothing. Right. It really isn't. It really isn't. Now, now the concept, there may be somebody willing to pay some money for the concept. Yeah. If you stay on board and you can transfer customer relations. I often get into discussions with people who have professional businesses, consulting types of businesses. Maybe they're an accountant or an, or an attorney or a doctor, right? So with doctors and accountants, it's a little bit different, right? Because your accountant has a book of business that's somewhat reliable in that people are going to 
they need their tax returns done every year. So if you can transfer that relationship, you could probably sell the business. With doctors also, if they bring younger doctors into their practice, those doctors start working with the patients and they transfer those relationships. With lawyers, for example, it's, it's you know, I have this conversation with my colleagues all the time. It's very difficult to sell your practice because your practice is you. Yeah. People come to you for your yeah. legal expertise that, you know. The same thing with consultants, you know. when Same you with consultants. Them. They're hiring you for with your expertise. And coaches, you know, and things like that. You know, yeah. your, your revenue is coming in because of you and right. not necessarily a product or productized service that you're, you know, that's being offered, you know, or something right. like that. But I, but I want to tell you this, it doesn't mean that your business is worthless, okay? Right. Right. But it does mean that you might have to make an arrangement where the person taking over your business pays you a percentage of revenue that they generate from your book of business over, let's say, a three-year period or a five-year period. So you're getting the, the benefit of them working with your customers, but they don't have the risk of buying something that may never come to fruition. So often with professional service practices and consultancies, that's what we're doing. We're making an arrangement where maybe there's a little bit of money up front, but for the most part, it's what I call an earnout, meaning you know, you take the, the thousand customer list, and over time, as they do business with your company, the the former owner gets a percentage for a period of time of the business that is generated from that client base for whatever you want to call it, mailing list, whatever it depends on the industry you're in. Exactly, exactly. There's so many things that we could continue going on, but we're getting uh, close to the end of this podcast. Any sure. last tips you want to give our listeners here, Mitch? Yeah, um, I'll give them two tips. One is always do things in writing because there's been books written about the, our poor memory and the fact that we can swear that we were on this podcast talking about this on this day and it turns out you were in Mexico and I was in Canada and we were on vacation. So our memories are very fallible. They're really terrible for the most part. My husband and I have this argument all the time about our wedding. Yeah, he can't remember anything correctly, no, right? No, no, it's me. You, you know, can't remember? I That's funny. When I swear that a friend of ours was, was officiated the, the, the wedding. And right. he said, no, we brought in a, a notary. You see, there you go. <laughs> and if he was smart, he would just agree with you, by the way, Dana, but... Yeah. So, but that's exactly what happens. It's like yeah. relationships, right? So always, 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 whenever possible, do things in writing. You mentioned memorandums of understanding before. Mm -hmm. At least have something in writing where you say, this is what we agreed to on this day. And we could go back to it and adjust it, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is as a lawyer, I'm only touting my profession. Don't be your own lawyer, oh, right? Yeah. right? Don't be your own accountant. I mean, maybe you could do your books if you're somewhat savvy at that, but you know, get professionals to help you as you grow your business. Does that mean that you don't do some things on your own to start? No, you do. But there are resources out there to help you get started without having to hire a general counsel or whatever, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So how can people get a hold of you should they want to? Uh, the website's bindhackerlaw.com. Um, it's all up and running, but if you follow me in the next couple of months, it's going to change. We're launching a new site, new logos. Actually, the logo's over my shoulder, but, um, and I'm also on all social media. So we're the podcast, for example, we're always posting on LinkedIn and Facebook. I'm always easy to connect with on LinkedIn. And um, the, uh, the, the podcast itself too, all the videos for our interviews go up on YouTube as well as being audio. I wouldn't call it a video podcast, but we put the video up there and um, 
yeah. And then I have a, you know, I have a LinkedIn page for the podcast, LinkedIn page for the practice personal. I'm always, I'm pretty easy to find. If you see, if you find somebody named Mitch Beinhacker, it's for sure it's me. So you can find other Beinhackers definitely related to me, but. Not too many um, with Beinhacker is the last no, name. <laughs> no, well, there are some around. There's some in New Jersey that I don't even know, but they're related to me. There's a lot in Florida, South Florida. I have a lot of relatives down there. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I haven't, I've, I've met two other Danas in my lifetime with two ends two ends okay there you go see so if you're walking around south florida at one point and you meet somebody with the last name beinhacker definitely my relative (laughs) oh okay okay so that's it guys i want to thank you all for joining us today and make sure to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery platform you are on listening to us on or you can go to the charged up studio facebook page and leave a review there If you want to learn more about different topics or skill sets that you don't know, you don't know, um, associated with growing a successful business, visit our online e-learning platform called marketatomy.academy. I look forward to talking to you once again next week and joining you for another exciting episode where small businesses get charged up for success. Thank you once again, Mitch. Thank you, Dana. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.